Good morning. Let's pray together as we turn to God's word. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it speaks to us freshly, that that it conveys to us an understanding of who you are and an understanding of who we are as your people, as members of your household. And Father, I pray that as we look into your word this morning that You would speak to each of us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, illuminate your word to our understanding and would motivate us to live it out for your glory this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have been working our way through 1 Timothy for a while now, and uh, today we open chapter 5. I'd like just to invite you to think for a moment about the situation Timothy was in. It's an interesting situation. Uh, Timothy, uh, probably a uh, 30-something single guy, ends up deposited at the church at Ephesus to straighten some things out. The Apostle Paul planted the church, taught that church for two to three years, Uh, but then later on learned of some troubles at the church. Uh, Learned, for instance, that that there were elders there who were teaching strange things. They were speculating about Jewish genealogies and and what they might mean. Uh, They were prohibiting people from marrying or eating certain foods. Uh, Men were fighting. Uh, Women were paying more attention to cosmetics than character. Uh, Their worship was a mess. And so Paul sends Timothy to deal with that situation. Now now picture it. He's he's a young man. He's a young single man. Uh, He is uh, young enough to be the son of some of these erring elders He's not old enough to be the father of any of them, and yet he is called upon to straighten things out there in that church. He's got to figure out how to relate to all of those people, all of those ages, being kind of in the middle of those ages himself, so that he can help them straighten out the issues that are troubling that church. Do you get a feel? for the sort of tenuous situation that he's in there. He was not selected by a search committee. He was never voted on by the congregation. He's just been put there by the guy who planted the church. Now, he has the endorsement of the Apostle Paul, but the Apostle Paul is not on the scene. It's not likely that he'll ever return there. How does Timothy deal with all of these people in the church? Our our culture would probably say, well, you know, Paul maybe could bestow some title on him, the right Reverend Dr. Timothy, and he could leverage that uh, for positional authority over some of the people who are acting out. Uh, Maybe he needs to form some alliances and and build build sort of a team. Uh, But the counsel that Paul gives him relies on none of that. Instead, uh, Paul begins with a passage we looked at two weeks ago at the end of chapter four where he says, Timothy, I want you to start with your own character. 
I want you to start with your own example. Make sure that you are setting an example of Christ-like character to these people that you're trying to deal with. Make sure that your speech, your conduct, your love, your faith, your purity are exemplary for those people. Start with yourself. It's always good advice. Start with yourself and the example that you're setting. And then he says, I want you to pay particular attention to Scripture. Uh, Read Scripture publicly. Apply it to the lives of these people in the church. Teach it clearly so that they can understand it and obey it. And, and then he says, Timothy, be sure you're, you're paying attention to your spiritual gift as well because God has equipped you with something that you need to use for his glory. It will be the key to your success if you live according to the giftedness that God has put into you. And then he says, I want you to keep close watch on your life and your doctrine. Both of those are vitally important. Either one of those, if you let them go, will render you ineffective. Pay close attention to your life and your doctrine. And then he says, stay at it. Stay at it in such a way that everyone will see, not your perfection, but your progress. It's good counsel, good counsel. That's what we looked at at the end of chapter four, two weeks ago. And now, as we turn to chapter five, Paul begins to set all of that good counsel into the context of the nature of the church. What is a church like? It's not like a business, right? There are some organizational aspects to it, but it's not ultimately like a business, that's why the qualifications for its leaders don't require any business experience or success. The church, Paul says, is ultimately like a family, not like a business. And so the qualifications for leaders include you you need to have demonstrated uh, capability in terms of leading a household. That's what's important in the church. Why? Because the church is God's household. Paul says that in chapter three, verse 15. And so one of the things that's absolutely essential in our households is is the regard that its members have for one another, right? You want harmony in your homes, right? I want harmony in my home. Uh, it's, It's a vitally important thing. The family members need to show concern for one another. There is one imperative verb in these two verses. We're just looking at two this morning. Only one imperative verb in those two verses. It's right there in chapter one. Various translations render it encourage or exhort or appeal to. Uh, Literally, it means call alongside. Uh, The Greek word is parakaleo. Can we get the slide? And it means encourage. Uh, It means literally call alongside. Uh, It's verb form. It is the verb form of the word that Jesus uses in the upper room discourse when he is describing the comforter, the Holy Spirit who would be coming. Uh, the, The word for Holy Spirit is paraclete. 
so we see parakaleo in paraclete. It's a compound word. The para means beside, and kaleo is to call. So he is the one who calls us alongside. It's a beautiful picture. Now, you, you think of, a, a, what's a paramedic do? A paramedic works alongside a doctor, right? What does a paralegal do? A paralegal works alongside a lawyer, right? And so to be the paraclete is to be the one who calls us alongside of himself. I have a, a friend in Wausau that I like to call up when I come into town. I give him a call and I say, hey, you doing anything tomorrow morning? And uh, we, we enjoy taking walks together in the morning. And uh, during those walks, wonderful things happen. Uh, not anything that we plan. We really have no agenda other than just to be together. But things just bubble up in conversation as we walk together and we end up affirming each other and encouraging each other and giving insight to one another and uh, building that relationship and deepening that relationship. That's, that's the picture of, of what the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, does with us. He says, come alongside me and, and let's walk together for a while. And so whenever uh, my friend and I do that, it's an encouragement to the one receiving the phone call to say, hey, you got time to come walk with me a while? That's the picture that we have here in this verb in uh, verse one. Uh, encourage and, and that applies to all four of the relationships that Paul is describing here in these two verses. What's it look like to call someone alongside in the family of God? Well, it's different for each person. It's different for each member of that family. Paul zeroes in on four relationships in the family of God. Older men, Younger men, older women, younger women. All governed by that same verb, call alongside. What does calling alongside look like in each of those cases? Well, as we think about that, we think in terms of, of our culture. I think in terms of the dysfunctional American family. And I, I think that when someone hears, treat someone like you would your dad, they might not have a great idea of what that means, given our culture. Uh, even in my lifetime, I've seen a significant shift in terms of how we view the family and how family members relate to one another. Sitcoms have not been kind to the American family. When I was a boy, the shows portrayed dads and moms as wise and resourceful. Shows like My Three Sons, or Father Knows Best, or even Leave It to Beaver, um, showed dads and moms as people who knew what to do. The people you could always go to when you didn't know what to do. Today's shows uh, portray parents as clueless and even laughable, especially fathers. Next slide. That's 
today's father according to the sitcoms that are shown on TV. So even over the course of 50, 60 years, we have slid from the father who knows best, the father who knows what to do, to one who is absolutely clueless. So when Paul says, encourage an older man as you would your father, whose picture do you see? Fred McMurray or Homer Simpson? We may not have seen or experienced what treat an older man like your father ought to look like. And so what I've tried to do as I've thought through this passage is to think of some biblical examples of family members that might be a whole lot closer to what Paul was asking for than what the American culture of the 21st century can furnish. So we begin with this one, call older men alongside as though they were your dad. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. I think about a a relationship of a father and son in scripture and and I'm drawn to the picture of Paul and Timothy. It would be fresh on Timothy's mind as he would read these words from Paul. Paul calls Timothy his true child in the faith in chapter one, verse two. We don't know much about Timothy's natural father. All we know is that he was a Greek and he wasn't a believer. But we know more about his relationship with his spiritual father, the apostle Paul. Paul tells the Philippians, I have no one like Timothy. I've got nobody like him. He has served with me in the gospel like a son serving with his father. There's that spiritual father-son relationship. What do you suppose it looked like? Timothy knew Paul was the senior leader, that he had a lot to learn from the apostle Paul, that he would need to trust him and put himself under Paul's authority. So how do you relate to a dad? To any father figure, you do it with respect. I think that's the fundamental piece of the father-son relationship. You relate to a father figure with respect. This is the one of the four relationships that Paul describes in these two verses where Paul tells us what not to do. He says, don't rebuke him. Uh, The word literally means strike. Don't strike him. Uh, In other words, don't be harsh with him. Don't dishonor him. Don't beat up on him. If you have to correct him, do it with respect as you would your father. Imagine if the apostle Paul managed to offend somebody in the Ephesian church. Can't imagine Paul ever offending anybody, right? But imagine he offended somebody in the Ephesian church and Timothy needed to correct him. How would he go about doing that? Picture what that might look like. Paul, um, could we maybe have a little walk together? Could, could you walk with me a while? And uh, there's a couple things that I, I need to talk to you about. And he would then lay out what 
the issue is with humility, with kindness, with gentleness, with respect. Call him alongside as though he were your father. Encouragement replaces rebuke. Call older men alongside as though they were your dad. The second thing Paul tells him is call younger men alongside as though they were your brothers. As I thought about biblical families with brothers in preparation for this message, all I could think of was dysfunctional families, dysfunctional relationships in the Bible between brothers. You know, they abound. There's no shortage. Lots of messed up brothers. Joseph got sold into slavery by his brothers. Jacob stole his brother's birthright. Jesus' brothers, as we saw in the scripture passage read earlier, thought he was out of his mind. Mark chapter 3. But that might be a good starting point for our understanding of the relationship between Jesus and his brothers. It was because they thought he was out of his mind that they went to try to get him away from the crowd in Mark chapter 3. And it's out of that that Jesus redefines the family, starting at verse 31 of Mark chapter three. Listen again to these words. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus redefines the family. Who is the family? Who are Jesus' brothers? It's whoever does the will of our heavenly father. Whoever advances the cause of the gospel is my brother. So how do you relate to a brother? When Paul tells Timothy, relate to the younger men as though they were your brothers, you relate to them as teammates. They're partners in the gospel enterprise. Men tend to size each other up, don't we, guys? We do. We see a new guy and we go, huh, I could take him, right? You know, we, we think in terms of, you know, physically I could take him or, or intellectually I could take him or socially I could take him or I, I got a better house than he's got, a better, better car than he's got. We tend to size people up and, and our relationships tend to get a bit stratified, rank conscious. And in place of the bluster and bravado, Paul says, no, 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 you're teammates, your teammates. It's not a stratified thing, but, but your, your teammates. Relate to each other as brothers. Teamwork replaces rivalry and competition. Call younger men alongside as though they were your brothers. And then call older women alongside as though they were your mom. I think there's really no better example in scripture than the relationship between Jesus and his mother. We see it especially clearly when Jesus is on the cross. You remember the picture in John chapter 19 where 
Jesus says to, um, to Mary, and, and John is standing there with her, the beloved disciple, he says to Mary, behold your son. Calling her to notice John. And then he says to John, behold your mother. And it says that John took her into his home and cared for her from that point on. The relationship between someone and their mom is to be characterized by care. That's how we relate to a mother figure, with care. There's a tenderness there, there's, there's a gratitude there for all that she has done in raising him. There's concern for her well-being. Call older women alongside as though they were your mom. And then finally, call younger women alongside as though they were your sisters. When I think of biblical examples there, uh, the one that really stuck in my mind is a negative one. Uh, Amnon, the son of David, and his sister Tamar. You remember the story. Amnon was infatuated with his half-sister Tamar, and so he figured out a way to get her alone. And then he took advantage of her. The story's famous. Mention Amnon and Tamar, and people will instantly know what you're talking about. It's shocking. It deserves our condemnation. How are you supposed to relate to a sister? Not like Amnon related to his sister. How are you supposed to relate to a sister? With purity. Paul provides the word for us in verse 2. He, he says uh, that we are to encourage, same word governing, call alongside younger women as sisters in all purity. Purity. It's what Amnon didn't do for his sister Tamar. When we men look at younger women in the church, we should see them as our sisters in Christ. If you're tempted to think something else of them, you, you need to tell yourself, that's my sister we're talking about. That's my sister I'm looking at. I have four sisters, all older than me. I'm told they're quite good looking, and I suppose they are. But I've never looked at them that way. They're my sisters. We need to see the younger women in the congregation as sisters in Christ and to regard them with all purity. Call younger women alongside as though they were your sisters. Jesus redefined the family. It's now the family of faith. Those who share your faith in Christ are your true family. Your natural brothers and sisters, your parents, your children may mock your faith. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 10, they may betray you to death. Your faith family is now your real family. 
And though you may lose natural family members when you come to faith in Christ, you gain more. In Mark chapter 10, verses 29 and 30, Jesus says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. You may give up natural family members for the sake of Christ, but you get more. You get more. And in Jesus' perspective, that is a really good thing. It's hard for us to see because most of us haven't lost family members or homes for the sake of the gospel. But to the people Jesus was talking to, this was really good news. Persecution might scatter them, and for many it did. But the family of God would take them in. They'd lose a house, but they'd get a house, maybe one night at a time. They'd get wisdom from a dad, the comfort of a mom, the partnership of a brother, the kindness of a sister. And Paul tells us to be that for each other. Be that. The ministry model that River Hills has chosen really underscores the fact that God has made us family. We want interaction between the generations. We want to see interaction across the lines of nuclear family and extended family. Our common bond in Christ surrounds us with parents and siblings. Look around yourself, they're here. Joni Mitchell is uh, one of those special people who's been a sister to a lot of people here. A mom to a good number, a grandma to many. I've asked her to come and share a few words about what that's been like from her perspective. Joni, come on up and, and share with us. family and um, I'm way too honest and can talk way too much so I wrote it all down so you won't be burdened <laughs> and um, I'll try to stay with it <sighs> now I'm a little nervous too uh, you are my church family because of COVID I stayed home for a year I wasn't here for a while and that was when I really found out that you are my church family. I missed so much. I missed our discovery group. What a great group. I mean, talk about love, an example. Seeing uh, all of you when I come and visiting with you and seeing um, Everybody, just even to see you is a blessing for me. I love it when you come to visit me. I love visitors, and thank you for all of you who have come. 
Worshiping in song is really important to me. And prayer with the, just to be here as a group feeling so warm and fuzzy with um, everybody um, directing their prayers and song. Most of all, seeing the dear children, my young friends who come to talk to me after church, I can't tell you. My grandchildren live in Virginia and I don't see them at all, rarely. I mean, occasionally, I don't mean, poor me, uh, but (laughs) I love your kids. And I have been blessed to be in this church long enough to watch the kids grow up, get married and have children of their own. Wow, not everybody gets that, but I feel blessed. You are like, like my primary family. You are a big part of my life. You are my church family because we share Christ. He is the head of our family. That is an amazing gift from a very loving and gracious Father God. I am grateful. And that's why you are family to me. Thank you for those of you who have shown me the love of Christ. Thank you, Joni. So... Paul tells us how to relate to the other members of God's family here. It's time for us really to ask how we've done at it, asking ourselves, starting with ourselves, how have we done? If we treated the older men among us with respect like we would our dad, have we treated the younger men around us like brothers, like teammates in the cause of Christ instead of competing with them and trying to one-up them? Have we cared for the older women among us as we would our mom? Have we regarded the young women among us with purity as we would our own sisters? Maybe God's Holy Spirit, the paraclete, is calling you alongside him right now, wanting to pull you close to say something to you about how you're relating to the family of God here at River Hills. Maybe he's asking you to deal with some of those relationships. Let's take a moment of quiet prayer and reflection to talk with him about it, to invite the Holy Spirit to be the paraclete to us, the one who calls us alongside him the one who illuminates God's word, who gives affirmation and encouragement, but also gives conviction and repentance and godly sorrow and a fresh commitment to live as brothers and sisters in the family of God. Let's take a moment to speak with him.
Father, thank you for the family you have given us here. Thank you for redefining the family for us. Thank you for the sisters and brothers and moms and dads you have given us here in the body of Christ, the family of God. Father, I pray that we would truly come alongside one another in those relationships, recognizing the richness of what you have put together and caring for one another as deeply as we care for those under our own roof. Where there has been hurt, I pray that you would bring healing. Where there has been alienation, I pray that you would bring restoration. Father, I pray that you would bring more and more encouragement as we call one another alongside of ourselves and say to one another, would you walk with me for a while? So Father, I pray that together, being your family, we would be able to be truly your instrument here in this community, that we would be a safe place and a place that reaches out beyond ourselves to the people that you've called us to serve and to bring into the family of God along with us. And so, Father, be glorified in our relationships. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.